It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day and another really good show. A lot of variety on today's show as I sketched it out last night and this morning kind of more fully, realizing that there's just a lot to get to um, this time of year. Jerry Zagoda from the Star Tribune will join me here in a little while to talk Minnesota United soccer. It has been a busy last few weeks for the Loons. They fired head coach Adrian Heath, the only coach they've had in Major League Soccer. They won a big match against LA, uh, LA Galaxy right after firing Adrian Heath, which put them still on the fringes of the MLS playoff picture. And now they've gotten a little bit of help along the way to the point that when decision day, decision night, I guess more aptly, this uh, this year arrives on Saturday, their, their mission is pretty clear. Win in Kansas City and have any of three other teams either lose or draw, and they will be in at least the wild card 8-9 game in the Western Conference. So all hope not lost here. Uh, that said, the Loons have had a terrible time trying to win in Kansas City in their entire history. So that is easier said than done. And Kansas City is in the exact same predicament as the Loons needing a win to at least have a chance to get into the playoffs. So Jerry and I will get explore that a little more fully in addition to talking through the Adrian Heath firing and kind of spinning forward to what might they be looking for in a permanent head coach after this season does come to a close. Um, Got to get to some other stuff at the end. Big sneaky injury for the Vikings. Mark, Marcus Davenport heading to injured reserve. He'll be out at least four weeks. Justin Jefferson's a big one, but Marcus Davenport could impact them just as much on defense um, because of the impact he's had so far, helping Daniil Hunter get you know take some of the pressure off him. So we'll get to that at the end of the show. Um, we'll get to an interesting New York Times piece about the future of sports on TV. A lot of it ground we've covered here before, but a good kind of update on where teams are at, what they're thinking as Diamond Sports bankruptcy heads further into the depths of fall and winter, and teams start to make other arrangements. Um, interesting game for the Wild tonight, sort of a three-game home stance. We'll talk about that here in a bit. First, though, what did we miss? Well, kind of bothered still a little bit by the way the Twins season ended. I know it's been a week. It was last Wednesday that they went down to Houston 3-2 to two in a hail of strikeouts. I believe it was two consecutive games to end that series where they had three hits and 14 strikeouts in each of those games, scored a combined three runs in those games, did not get anything really going in either of those games, and there you had it. The season was over. A promising beginning to the postseason came to a quick stop. Still successful in a lot of ways, winning the division, finally winning a playoff game, finally winning a playoff series, not taking anything away from that. But let's spend just a few minutes at the beginning of the show talking about approach, because at the end of year media availability, the Twins essentially remained either steadfast or defiant in their approach, which this year has been Basically, strikeouts are okay, and they set a major league record for strikeouts in a season as long as they're hitting balls hard and hitting balls over the fence and getting on base with walks. Rocco Baldelli, um, in his end-of-year availability last Friday, said, you want base runners, you want balls hit on the barrel hard. That is the goal. That's what we want. Those two things above all else. However, um, 
happened to watch some of the Houston and Texas game on Wednesday, ALCS. Houston, of course, the team that eliminated the Twins. Texas, the team that had not lost in the postseason until that point. Couldn't help but notice that those two teams combined for 13 runs and only struck out five times each. They all, they both hit the ball hard, both hit the ball over the fence, both of them maybe having a different or slightly different approach <clears throat> than the Twins did in the postseason. Here's some numbers to back it up. Twins strikeout percentage in the playoffs, 33.6%, far and away the most in the major leagues in the postseason of all the 12 postseason teams. Now, yes, their walk rate, 12.4%, was definitely the best as well, but not nearly um, not nearly the gap that they had in the strikeout rate. The strikeout rate, nobody else has struck out more than 26.8% of the time. So the Twins are striking out basically a little more than one out of every three trips to the plate. Every other team striking out roughly one in every four or less than one in every four. Texas and Houston way down near the bottom of strikeout rate, which is a good thing in this case. This is, you know, they're the third and fourth best teams in terms of putting the ball in play. 23.3% in the playoffs for Texas, 22.6% for Houston in the playoffs. Two teams that, oh, by the way, have also hit 11 and 14 home runs, um, respectively. The Twins hit seven in the playoffs. Texas has scored 44 runs in the playoffs. Um, they're doing just fine, putting the ball in play, hitting home runs, while also not striking out at an unreasonable rate. So what does this all mean? Does this mean the Twins need to completely scrap their approach, stop trying to hit the ball hard? No, I don't think so because they did hit, they have, let, they did lead the, uh, the the majors in postseason hard hit ball percentage. All of these stats coming from fan graphs, by the way. So I don't think they need to completely change what they're doing. I think they do need to amend some of what they're doing, though, particularly with two strikes. And the Twins did kind of hint at that is uh is basically something they will consider um Rocco Baldelli saying there are certain points in every game where you want to find a way to put the ball in play but the vast majority of at-bats that's not part of the conversation I'd rather have a guy have a great at-bat go deep into count and possibly strike out but give us a chance to actually give us a base runner or actually look for a ball in the middle of the zone and pulverize it that's what I would prefer but they did say um you know they're they're trying to find um a little bit of a middle ground, so they're going to have conversations with certain players about improving two-strike approach. And that, that to me, would be a step in the right direction. It might not overhaul everything we've seen, but having a better two-strike approach, you know, and this is kind of simple. This goes back to fundamental baseball. This is not fancy analytics. This is you try to hit the ball hard until you get to two strikes, and then you can't be as choosy. You have to be able to you know, foul off pitches at the very least to, to keep the, the at-bat alive instead of, you know, trying to find a pitch in a perfect zone. You can't just take these called strikes right on the edge. And again, the season ended with Max Kepler taking a very close pitch on a called strike three with, uh, you know, with a one-run deficit when one base runner, one, you know, one hard-hit ball could have made a difference. Um, so I, I do think they need to overhaul the approach to a certain degree to have a better two-strike approach. Now, I think the, the thing we have to wonder is how much of this is approach versus how much of it is age of some of their players and how much of it, frankly, is talent up and down the batting order. Do they need a different approach or do they need some different hitters? I think it's maybe a little bit of both. Um, I think as guys like you know Matt Walner 
Um, Royce Lewis, even um, Julian, to a degree. Although Julian's got a pretty good idea at the plate already. Younger hitters in their lineup as they mature, they'll probably have a better two-strike approach, and maybe just maybe they need some better talent, not just a different approach in in the order. So that's an interesting thing to watch going forward. But it's also interesting to watch right now in the playoffs when you got these more seasoned veteran teams able to not only hit the ball over the fence, but also not strike out at an ungodly rate. Who knew that was possible? Speaking of all or nothing, the Wild gave up zero goals in their first game, seven goals in their second game, two goals in their third game, two wins out of that bunch that averages out to three goals a game allowed. But that's a, no averages can be misleading because you don't, you know, you're not getting them by a, a smooth, a smooth curve. It's way up and way down. And this game they have on Thursday night at Excel Excel Energy Center, uh, first of three straight home games against the L.A. Kings in this case, will be an opportunity for them to show they can keep that number down against a good offense. Kings have been rolling so far this year. I think they've scored five goals at least in each of their last couple games. They have a pretty potent lineup. Kevin Fiala, old friend, part of that. So this is a chance for the Wild to show that they can hold a good team down offensively. I think this is going to be kind of the story of the year. I think they can. I think their defense and their defensive systems can hold up even without Jared Spurgeon, even without some of their more seasoned veterans. As long as they get decent goaltending, but also you know against these these lesser teams, that can hold up because they just don't have as much firepower. Can they hold down some of the league's better offenses? Which is not just a regular season question, but of course will become a postseason question if it works well enough in the regular season. So that's what I'm watching for tonight. Can the Wild? not just, you know, compete, but can they hold down? Can they hold a Kings team to two or three goals, give themselves a chance to win against a good offense? Because I don't think they had a chance to do that yet. Toronto scored seven on them. The defense was thoroughly exposed in that game. And if they if they have another struggle against the Kings, you're going to wonder, okay, is this going to be a pattern? Are they going to do this game in and game out against the best teams and the best offenses in the league? Or is there more hope for them as the season goes on? So that's what I'm watching for tonight against the Kings. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk Minnesota United Soccer today with Jerry Zagoda from the Star Tribune. Jerry, it's been an interesting last couple weeks, to be sure. Um, Loon's fired head coach Adrian Heath with two matches to go in the season. Then not too long after that, they win their next match and score five goals. And since then, a lot of the other results have kind of helped them stay in this playoff race to the point now that they go into decision day on Saturday with pretty clear, uh, pretty clear expectations, pretty clear path for what they need to do. They, at the very least, they need to win to at at Kansas City on Saturday anything less than that for them and they're out but if they win and any of the teams above them either loses or draws those three teams that are stuck on 43 points if they either lose or draw any of those teams the Ludens are at least into that wild card game so quite a uh, quite a last couple of weeks 
Yeah, it's uh, maybe not really surprising except except for the timing. You know, with two games to go. Um, you know, I guess after that that loss uh, in LA five one, it was hard to 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 uh, keep keep going. I'm sure that's not the whole reason for it, but that that sure didn't help. But uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Then they go out and score five goals, and Pookie scores four of them, and uh, you know, the, the whole world changes in a matter of hours. It seems like. What did you, I mean, you're right, the, the timing of it was maybe the most surprising part, but this had been building for a while, especially with that kind of winless, that seven-match winless streak towards the end of the year that took them, you know, from fairly comfortable, at least in the playoffs position, to the fringes. Um, what what have players said since then? What is the kind of the general sense of, you know, uh, life, you know, life now without Adrian Heath? Well, and don't forget, this was the second year in the row they did that. You know, last year they stumbled down the route. The only difference was they won on decision day at home against Vancouver and, and, and got in. But it was the same thing at the end of the year where I don't know if it was six or seven games or five games, but it was a, a swoon towards the end. And uh, I think th- those things, you know, accumulate, uh, you know, accumulated and uh, um, they just, I, I guess they just figured it was better just to, to, to cut losses here and uh, um, see if, if they, you know, they didn't talk about the playoffs uh, right away as, as a reason for it, but uh, they're they're staring right now with a chance. They got to win at Kansas City, which is a place they've never won except for that one playoff game, right? Twenty twenty. So, uh, you know, that, that's 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 the first thing, and then they have to, like you said, they have to hope for a little help. If they do win at Kansas City and manage to get in, does Adrian get to claim this as five straight years he's made the playoffs? I don't know. He's, he's going to have to have a fight, I guess, with his buddy Sean. <laughs> why has Kansas City been such a hard place for them to play over the years? I mean, I know you know Kansas City's had some good teams, but the Loons have had playoff teams. What what's so hard about winning there? Well, I think uh, you know the 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 one time they won was when they had the, they had the better team. Kansas City had a really uh, you know injury filled year, and uh, they went down there. And, you know that's when they had you know basically all those. Uh, uh, guys, Reynoso was uh, was his first season. You know, he played his way to uh, an assist record, and um, uh, I, I think that's easy to explain. And I think the other ones are more that you know, Kansas was just better. They've all, it seems like year after them in Seattle, although not maybe so much recently, but it seems like those are the teams that are every year that you can count on to be good. Can they bring back Kevin Molino for these years for these playoffs? Well, I don't know about that, but I was thinking about people asking me about, you know, who's the next coach. I said, what about Buzz Lagos? Wow. Oh, man. Buzz Lagos. I, I think, I don't think Buzz is, uh, is the answer, but that, that, let's, let's, let's use that as a springboard to some of the, the bigger picture stuff for this team. I mean, what do you think? Obviously, they're in the midst of trying to get into the playoffs right now, and they could be, you know, playing some meaningful games here for, the foreseeable future, but at, you know, at a certain point, the vision is going to turn quickly to 2024. You know, we, we've seen different names bandied about. What do you, what do you think they're looking for? What do you think their timetable is for hiring a new permanent head coach? Well, so it'll be interesting to see what they, you know, do they hire a separate GM with GM powers and then the coach rather than, you know, Adrian uh, was basically the, the, the decision maker. He had the last say on everything. So, um, we'll see that, and then we'll see if they, you know, if they if they decide, you know, they want to build around this this group of players they have, which is 
a lot of Spanish-speaking players. I don't know if they would go and have hire a Spanish-speaking coach or not in, ter- in terms of what the roster is now, or just figure there's going to be the natural turnover with a new GM and you have no idea what the roster is going to look like. So just, you know, wait, wait until that. So, you know, it's people ask me who it's going to be. And I said, well, look at all the guys who have been fired or out of work and you start there, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be a wide range of candidates. And, what? Uh, oh, go ahead. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm guessing they want to, you know, do it as quickly as possible, but in a lot of cases you have to wait. If it's a, an assistant somewhere else, you, know, you have to wait for the playoffs to be over. So, I don't know how fast the wheels will, will will turn or not. Do you think, you know, style-wise, I feel like coaching searches tend to work in opposites. We see that with the Vikings a lot where, you know, they they hire one kind of coach that's kind of more of a, you know, disciplinarian taskmaster then they go the other direction for a player's coach. How how what you know, in the end of the day, how would you describe Heath's style and do you feel like they want something different whether it's tactically or personality-wise from from what he brought to the table? That's that's a, a a good question. I think you know I mentioned the, like the Spanish speaking players. The other question is how much do they go to to keep uh, Reynoso happy? Yeah. That, how how big a how big a factor is that? And and uh, it'll be interesting when we get to talk to him. I don't know what he'll say on Friday, but you know, Heath and Mark Watson were the guys who really put in the work to get him here, and uh, it'll be interesting. Whereas. Whereas kind of headspace is now that they're, they're no longer here. You know, Watson had been to Argentina a number of times to, to get him signed, and Heath was really in, instrumental in it. So that'll, that'll be really interesting to, to see. Aside from just results, I mean, how do we how do we frame kind of what Heath's undoing was? Is it just kind of this pattern of you know inconsistency? Is it? new direction is it just you know he's been here for seven years and it's kind of run its course what what do you think was kind of the the tenor of why why now and what you know why make this decision oh i think it was just you know i just think it kind of um uh accumulated and and uh after a while you just you know nobody does it consciously but you know players tune coaches out and coaches maybe tune players out and seven years is a long time especially in in MLS, and I think uh, I think it was more a case of that just after a while. And there were there were other factors, you know, no Reynoso for the first half of the season. Um, had had some stretches where uh, you know they had guys gone for international play, and that doesn't that doesn't always help. But uh, um, I I think it was more just a case of you know he'd been here a long time, and and uh, um, I, I think it was just sort of the the, the accumulative effect. You kind of were going down the stretch of the season, saying, "You know, this is going to be iffy by the end of the by the end of the year. What's going to happen?" And all of a sudden, you know, two days or two games before, you know, basically it's a two game season now. And uh, that was like we said before, that was the only really surprising thing that they did when they did. Do you think they'll have to spend more at a certain point because their payroll has been kind of in the lower part of the league for the last few years here to you know to either attract a new coach slash GM and you know and, and honestly like did did Heath get enough to work with here at a certain point to, to build the kind of roster he wanted to build yeah they were limited I mean you know, they didn't go out and buy, get your 10 million dollar players you know Reynoso may end up being that's maybe somewhere some sometime but uh, um, they they certainly weren't spending you know with the obviously the Miamis oh. and all the, all, all the top teams but uh, 
Nobody's spending with Miami. But everything's, yeah, well, everything's getting more expensive. Players are getting more expensive. And I think they'll probably find out here coaches are getting more expensive. The league's just, the league's having a little bit of inflation, I think. Well, before we get to that, let's talk a little bit more before we go about just Saturday's opportunity. They scored five goals against uh, against LA the other day. They've been a generally pretty good road team this season. Uh, you know, part of the reason they're in this predicament is they have not been a great home team. Um, what you know, if, if they're going to win on if they're going to win on Saturday, what do you what do you imagine is going to carry the day? Well, we're going to have to get a. I think they're going to have to get a goal or two, Reynoso to puke. The Pookie, you know, I think they're going to have to mind that. Of, of they've, uh, they're learning kind of chemistry with each other, the runs and and, and all that. And I, I think you're going to need at least one or two goals like that. And uh, uh, it, you know, it's, what's going to be really interesting is just what the pace of the play is going to be with both these teams knowing they can't draw. Right. You know, what's going to happen if it's tied in the second half, and who pushes forward and how many, and you know, just that's going to be the a fascinating thing to watch and just, you know, how wide open this game's going to be or not. You know, you, you never know how these things play out, but that's the, that's the interesting factor that, you know, you know, you, you, both, both are playing for the exact same thing. That is interesting. You very rarely see a match where a draw benefits neither side. You know, sometimes you get it where one team benefits from a draw, one benefits from a win, but yeah, both of these teams knowing they have to win should be, I don't know if that makes it, it might make it more wide open or it might make it a cautious first half and a wide open second half. It'll be interesting to see what, how, how the loons play it. Did they, you know, tactically in their first game without Heath, did they do much differently or was it kind of just a little bit of the same, but just different results? They obviously did a little those... bit in the midfield, you know, they stretched it out. They, they pushed Jan Gregus higher, higher and dropped uh, Will Trap back. And um, they just made small little adjustments that I think had a little bit of an effect. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I got the impression from talking to Sean McCauley yesterday that they've gone through all those games in Kansas City and looked at, you know, areas of the field where, um, you know, they that hurt them and, and, and didn't, and that they've got some ideas of how this could be different uh, this time around. But um, last time around, it was when Reynoso was playing great and they had a, they had a, Probably maybe I don't know maybe a little bit of roster, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll see this time. Does Sean view this as any kind of audition, or how is he kind of thinking about yeah, his he's future around that? Uh, um, I would be surprised, you know, just because he he. I mean, all these guys are you consider you know sort of sort of Heath guys, so I would I would think they would go fresh and 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 start a new somewhere else. But uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe the. the if they already have a list, if there's someone out there that they don't have to wait for, or if there's, uh, uh, you know, how just how long the search is going to take, and how many how many uh, people they're going to talk to. Well, a lot of intrigue. Big game Saturday in Kansas City. If they win, good chance they'll be in. If they lose or draw, the loons are definitely done, and then turn their full attention to coaching search, roster building, things like that. Um, Jerry, appreciate all, it. All the, all the Western Conference teams play at the same time, 8 o'clock. Yeah, that is cool. I like that. Is it 8 p.m. Central? Is that... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. That'll, that's uh, I, I like that they do it that way. They've, they've been doing that for a little while now, so nobody can kind of 
scoreboard watch, although the although the loons wouldn't have any incentive to really scoreboard watch much anyway. They got to win no matter what, but they've uh, that that'll everything will be resolved by about 10 p.m. Uh, Saturday and we'll know we'll know a whole lot more then. Jerry, appreciate it. Take care. All right, thanks. Good stuff from Jerry and just kind of talking about Adrian Heath um, made me remember some of his best podcast appearances over the last couple of years. He was always a great and gracious guest. I don't think whoever they hire as head coach will be anywhere near as good in that realm. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but uh, I wanted to uh, to end that that kind of thought on Minnesota United by playing a clip from Adrian Heath um, appearing appearing on this show in November of 2021 one of I think three or four times he was on the show um, always uh, always fun um, this was him kind of talking about critics fans they ended up making the playoffs that season kind of by the skin of their teeth it's kind of been their mo um, but here here he was here's an exchange we had that was one of my favorite moments on this show I don't do any social media because I know what it's like you know and it's I don't want to be listening and reading what people think about me who don't even know me and have never met me and are suddenly an expert on my my particular uh, industry because it's one of the few industries that everybody seems to know my job better than me. And yet I have enough respect for everybody else's position not to, to think I know more than them, but that's the world we live in. I think you should join Twitter, Adrian, and then before every game put out a Twitter poll asking what formation you should use and what your starting 11 should be. Yeah, well, everybody, you know, hindsight United's never lost. And everybody I speak to says, you know, in hindsight, I go, yeah, but I haven't got hindsight. I have to pick the team two or three days before and work on the team shape. And, you know, people have always got a really good opinion of what we should have done after the event. Unfortunately for me, I don't get that, op- I don't get that opportunity. Did you say hindsight United? I've never heard yeah. that before. I love that. That's yeah. great. Hindsight United, never been beat. And again, not saying it wasn't time for Heath to move on, but I am saying I will miss some aspects of him, particularly how good he was uh, talking and how good he was talking on this podcast. Let us finish with a couple things in the cooler today. Number one, Marcus Davenport's injury for the Vikings. You know, we saw the impact he had in his absence at the beginning of the year when he was missing with a with an ankle injury and the Vikings just had a hard time generating much, much pass rush at the beginning of the season he came back had a big impact in that Carolina game their first win of the year he's been playing you know kind of hobbled but playing each of those last few weeks had a pretty big impact early on in that Bears win as well but now he is out he went out in that Bears game he has a high ankle sprain on injured reserve force, you know, so missing at least four weeks. That is going to be a blow for the Vikings. Daniil Hunter has been really good this season and has been helped um, by some of what Davenport has been able to do, taking a little bit of the heat off of him. You know, defense is having to account for a second talented pass rusher. I don't think they have someone else of Davenport's caliber to pair with Daniil Hunter. So got to watch for that in these four games that he's going to miss at least. Ken Daniil Hunter, you know, keep being explosive. He's got eight sacks already this season in six games, having a tremendous year, really being you know, kind of the player we thought he was in Brian Flores' system. Um, but can the likes of, you know, you know, guys like DJ Wanham, can they step up and do more in the absence of Marcus Davenport? Do they have enough depth and talent along that defensive line to account 
for that injury. I don't know if they do, but I will be watching for that as they play San Francisco on Monday and beyond. One other thing, New York Times had an interesting piece today on kind of the future of sports on TV, what a lot of NBA teams are doing. They kind of took a good look at Phoenix and their model where Bally Sports Arizona basically just went off the air on Friday. They've got no more Diamondbacks games, of course. They've got no Suns games. Um, nothing else out there. No Coyotes games. So they're, you know, the Suns have gone to a model where they're showing games over the air and on, you know, the direct-to-consumer streaming. Um, and that could be the model going forward. That could be the upshot for a lot of you. That a lot of sports programming could eventually, not tomorrow, not even maybe in three months, but you know, in the next two to three years, could return to a dig to a degree to over the air programming so not requiring a cable subscription you know something that would be on like i said over the air tv and that could be you know as as teams realize that the revenue might be there they're going to invest in relationships with fans making sure they have a robust fan base that's what the suns are doing right now that is their entire goal with this strategy so I don't know if every team can make that happen viably financially. I don't think every team's model is the same. But the prediction from a lot of smarter people than me is that this is kind of part of the future of sports on TV and that in you know as we kind of see these deals expire in the NBA, in MLB, and other sports, that some of this is going to kind of come back. They've kind of labeled it back to the future where a lot of these games are going to be over the air and they're going to work on relationship building with fans over all-encompassing profits. I will believe it when I see it because these leagues these teams need money they need money to fuel salaries for players things like that i don't know what players are going to think if the pool is shrinking especially in major league baseball this offseason we're already hearing rumblings of diminished payrolls for the twins and other teams but i'll you know if it works out to be a more fan-friendly model i and you will probably be all for it and we'll see where it takes sports from here that will do it for me today Lots of good stuff coming up tomorrow. Conversation with Chip Scoggins on Gopher football, Vikings, um, all sorts of good stuff. So stick around for that on Friday. Until then, I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.